Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome back to Meeting of the Minds. We're back with our mental health series, and we're here with the great Gianni Gione, great wrestler, University of Pennsylvania, and just all-around great person. We've known him for a long time. Gianni, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we'll jump right into it. Talk to us about your story, what you've been through, what you've learned, and tips for other people. So where to start? Um... I'd say probably the most prominent part of my story right now um, would be the period of time when I was in the intensive outpatient program. So I'll go through that. Um, So basically my sophomore year of college, I suffered a shoulder injury. Um, And as a result of that, I started dealing with some like social anxieties and some like, like an occasional more severe, like anxiety attack or panic attack. Um, because I was kind of going through an identity crisis. I was like, you know, like, who am I without wrestling? And what am I if I'm not an athlete? It's something that every high level athlete goes through at some point, you know, whether it's when you retire, or when you have that first bump in the road, and you're just like, well, where am I now? What am I doing? So I kind of pushed through that and didn't really tell too many people. I was just kind of like, okay, well, you know, this is something I'm dealing with, I'll be okay. So things kind of got a little bit better. Um, I guess I went out a little less. I just kind of like kept to myself. And then in December, I finally got back on the mat. So I got, I tore my labrum in September. So in December, I'm back on the mat. My first practice back, I was drilling. I took a shot and a kid's hip bone hit the back of my head. Um, and I remember standing up and everything was just really fuzzy and disoriented. And I was like, this isn't good. I probably should call it like I should probably should stop and get checked for a concussion so I had a concussion and uh I remember not thinking too much of it at the time you know I never had a serious concussion every single one I had I was like you know I take two weeks off the mat I get back and then I'm fine so I go home I played video games for like a week <laughs> and then I tried to get back on the mat too early and it definitely messed with my brain so I remember so it's Christmas break at this time probably about new year's eve and i'm hanging out with my buddy and we're watching like a movie or something and i have like a full-blown panic attack probably to this day the worst one i've ever had um i was literally like 
we were eating, I remember we were eating pizza rolls and I tried to just stuff them down to like help myself calm down. And I ended up like throwing up and that's kind of a little gross, but like I ended up like, you know, putting them back and I was just like freaking out, like shaking violently on the floor. Like I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, I was like, yo, like I'm really freaking out right now. Like this is really bad. So I actually went home and I got my mom because my mom deals with, you know, certain types of anxieties and stuff like that. So I got her to come in and I remember she literally just like sat down with me on the couch and like stayed with me until I went to sleep and I was just freaking out. So for the next like two weeks after that, I was like severely affected by what I had dealt with because that was a really traumatic experience for me. So the next two weeks, I probably, I was probably about 155 when that happened, like in weight. And that like two weeks later, I went to the doctor to get checked out and I was 135. So I wasn't eating. I was like barely sleeping, like things were really not good. So I got to go back to school. Um probably about mid-January and I got back on the mat and literally again my first practice back I got hit with some hip bone and I think it was like the side of my head actually and I kind of just relapsed like everything was going a little bit better but everything kind of just fell apart at that point so my brain really was not functioning properly um the time I got the concussion the semester before I um it was right around finals period. So I missed finals from the last semester. So I had to push them back into the next semester. So as my brain's not functioning properly, I'm like trying to work on my finals from the last semester and I'm trying to start classes from the new semester. So it's like not working at all. Like I can't pay attention. I can't like sit down and retain information. Like I remember literally sitting down and trying to write one page of a paper. All I had to do, one page. And it took me about two hours like normal me now, I could write like three or four pages in probably about an hour, hour and a half. It took me literally two hours just to write down one page of bullet points. And I was like, this is not good. This is messed up. So I went to a doctor and I was like, I, I, you know, this is bad. I'm messed up. Like I need help. And she prescribed me um, this benzodiazepine called clonopin. Um, which is like one of the strongest benzodiazepines on the market. It's the same family class as Xanax and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, the amount that she prescribed me was like a little bit too much for me and I didn't know that. So I was taking them like I was prescribed, you know, if I was having a panic attack, you take one, you take one when you wake up, you know, maybe you take one when you go to sleep. I forgot what the exact dosage was. So over the course of two weeks, I kind of started to realize that something was wrong because I was like, I don't really remember the last two weeks. Like I didn't have any short-term memory. Like people were coming up to me being like, yo, remember this and this and this. And I was like, I don't remember that at all. Like something's going on here. So wean myself off those. And I was at my then girlfriend's house and I'm having like a full on panic attack. And I'm like, I think I need to leave school. Like things are really, really bad. Like, I can't remember the last two weeks. My brain's not working. I'm like, I can't sit down in class. I'm having like panic attacks, just hanging out with people. And then the only thing that's helping me is making me forget like everything that's going on. So I think I need to leave school. So I tried to tough it out for a day. It was actually funny. So I went to um, Penn. I went back to Penn probably, I think it was the next Tuesday. 
and tried to like push through. And I had a meeting, my parents drove me in. I had a meeting with my CAPS um, therapist and they had a meeting with my coaches to talk about everything that was going on. And I remember sitting down with my CAPS therapist and having a full blown panic attack in the room with my CAPS therapist. So I was like shaking. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I need help. Like I need to go to the hospital because I was so like terrified of what was happening. So she was like, look, like, I'm like, you know, I'll help you get to the hospital if you want to go to the hospital, but I don't think that's going to help you right now. Like, I think what you want is answers. And I think the best way to help you with that is to like have you leave school because like you kind of like, you don't have anything to do in school right now. Like you're behind on classes, like you can't focus, you can't really do school. So yeah, at that point I called my mom. Actually, no, (laughs) my therapist called my mom. And told her she was like, so we're going to take John to the hospital. And my mom was like, what? Are you kidding me? So mid-February, super rainy day, we walked to the building on campus where you kind of take leaves of absences. Walked there. I remember so vividly just being like, that's probably rock bottom. Like, Like seeing your parents super upset about what you were going through. Like I could deal with it, but I hated seeing what it was doing to other people. So we left school that day and then I joined the IOP and I learned kind of everything I do now from there. Yeah, it's, that's, that's great. You're able to, you know, keep moving forward. And I know it's difficult. You brought up some, some good points there about um, one, how the physical affects the mental, right? Like sometimes it starts with a physical injury and then, you know, kind of th- things start spiraling mentally, emotionally, um, certainly a normal response. And then the other, and then the other thing was, um, the transition. So I'm taking notes while you, while you're speaking, um, transitioning from being a wrestler to being, you know, ordinary person, which we're all ordinary people to begin with, but now we feel more ordinary because we're not wrestling. So it's like, we have that, you know, like kind of almost like, where's the purpose Yeah. to either of those points that transition out of wrestling and also, um, how the physical impacts the mental. Yeah. So, I mean, when I got that concussion, I was like pretty sure that I was never going to wrestle again because I was like, um, you know, if I get another, I was like super scared of having like CTE, um, and like super like scared of getting like traumatic brain injuries and stuff like that. Cause you know, like if you have a concussion that does something that severe to you, like imagine what a really serious brain injury does. So I was like pretty much telling anyone who asked, I was like, yeah, my career is probably over. Like I'm happy with what I did, but I can't deal with like more concussions. So I kind of had to just sit with myself and think back on my career, sorry. And kind of become content with everything that I did. You know, I came up short in a lot of ways. Don't get me wrong. Like I took second in the state and then I never won States. And then like, I never made it to NCAA. So there's a lot of goals that I'd never got to achieve, but you know, when I look back on it, I still got to do a lot of stuff that people never got to do in their lifetimes. You know, really, really great wrestlers sometimes don't make state finals. And like, I kind of had to sit there and force myself, not force myself, but kind of realize that I had a lot to be thankful for and to sit there and, you know, pout and moan about things that didn't happen was kind of counterintuitive. Cause I was like, you know, just because, I didn't get to achieve what I wanted to. It doesn't mean like it was all for nothing. 
So, um, you know, that, that transition period for me was really like difficult because I kind of had to look at myself and be like, okay, well, I'm not a wrestler anymore. So I used to identify myself as a wrestler. Like if you ask me, you know, who are you? I'm like, Johnny Guillaume, I'm a really good wrestler or not really good. That's really cocky. I'm Johnny Guillaume. I'm a wrestler. Like I spent my life wrestling. I, you know, I worked super hard on it. I, you know, when I wake up in the morning, I think about, should I go on a run? Should I go lift? Should I go to practice? Should I get a roll in this morning? Like it was just the way I identified myself. So to think about that being over was very difficult. And I saw a little bit of it with my brother um, because his junior year of college, he had to walk off the wrestling team. Um, he was just cutting too much weight and stuff like that. But um, he dealt, it was like really hard for him to like walk away from the wrestling team because he, I don't want to say he was bitter, but he felt like there was so much that he could have achieved and should have achieved that he just hadn't yet. And he was very, very, you know, upset with the fact that he was like, I can't achieve the things that I wanted to, you know, circumstantially and, you know, physically, like I'm hurt. I'm like not able to get on the mat and do the things I want to do. So then the next year he transferred to division three school, Elizabeth town, and he got to wrestle there and he became a division three all American. But even after that, you know, he was very happy that he was able to achieve something like that. And, it definitely gave him a sense of closure. But even after that, it was kind of really difficult for him to think about wrestling. Like I remember talking to him about it and I was like, yeah, let's get on the mat. Let's get a roll in, you know, cause that was after my freshman year. And I was like, let's get a roll in. He was like, dude, I don't want to step on the mat for a while. Like I, I kind of need to like be away from wrestling. So I see that very often. I think of like a lot of people I know that wrestling was their identity and their lifestyle that after it's over, they need to take a lot of time away from it and kind of just like separate themselves from the sport. Um, and I think, you know, that's a really sad fact of the sport is like, it's so all encompassing, you know, like you, because of the cutting weight aspect, you, all you think about is wrestling. Like you wake up, you're like, what can I eat today? When can I run? What can I drink? Like blah, 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 blah. It's so everything you do is so goal directed that when you're done with the sport, it's like, well, now what? Like, I don't have that. Where do I go? So that's kind of my piece on the transition piece. Um, and the other thing was how the physical affects the mental. So, you know, when I had that first injury, that first labral tear, it, I was so, like, at first I was kind of okay with it. I, like, when it first happened, I was like, oh, whatever, you know, I got a month off of wrestling, I got to take a break, and then I'll just come back and I'll be fine. And then as time went on, I kind of just started to be like, well, like, what if this gets more serious? Like shoulder injuries are not easy to deal with. Like they don't kind of just get better. Like I know people with shoulder injuries that gets five, six surgeries. And like, I know people with shoulder injuries that are like, yeah, dude, they just don't get better. You know, you can rehab as much as you want, but just you land on it the wrong way. And it, like you're set back all the way. So, um, it was really difficult for me to think like, okay, well, my shoulder might never be the same. Like to this day, it's still pretty messed up. Like I can wake up in the morning if it's raining and I'll just be like super sore and achy and I kind of have to like stretch it out. And that was two plus years ago. So um, it definitely affected me mentally because I was like, well, 
I'll, I have to change my wrestling style now. Like I can't do the things I used to do. Like I used to be able to get super extended on a shot and kind of like reel things in, but I can't do that anymore. Like my shoulders messed up. So it really made me look at myself from a wrestling perspective and think of who I was. But even now, like I think of how the physical affects the mental, like, like because of what happened with my panic attacks, like if I start to feel a little bit weird or like unfamiliar physically, I'll start to get like worried that I'm about to have a panic attack because, um, because of like the way that my panic attacks happened in that time period, it was always just like, I got, I felt very like hot and it was a very unfamiliar feeling and I felt very hot and confused and I would have like heat flashes and stuff like that. So I, um, I just get like super worried now whenever anything physically feels a little bit off and usually it's nothing. I, just, I haven't had a panic attack in I don't know how long, like, thank God. But um, even now, like if I physically feel a little bit off, I get like really worried and I kind of need to withdraw myself and use some of the coping mechanisms that I learned in the IOP to kind of calm myself down and, you know, figure out what's going on. Yeah. What, what kind of strategies do you learn? Did you learn for coping that, that you found the most helpful? So for stuff like anxiety, um, I learned different stuff for anxiety and depression. Um, depression I've also dealt with. I've been open about that on social media. Um, but for anxiety, um, I kind of learned a lot about the brain. And that helped a lot because I was able to kind of understand how the brain works a little bit. In the IOP, they kind of taught us the intensive outpatient program. Um, they taught us that your frontal lobe is the logic center of your brain that's where your logic and your emotions and stuff like that come from um and when you have something like a panic attack this little part of your brain called an amygdala which is your fight or flight response so think like you're in the woods evolutionarily speaking think like you're in the woods and you see a bear coming towards you your amygdala activates and you're like i need to go like it makes you act a lot quicker makes you have like heightened senses and stuff like that but it over time when people stop needing that, like it became maladaptive because you start recognizing things as threats that aren't necessarily threats. Like for social anxiety, ordering a coffee at Starbucks, you're like, I'm terrified for no reason. It's because your amygdala gets activated when you're put in social settings. And when your amygdala is activated, it overrides the logic center of your brain, your frontal cortex. So you kind of, it's very difficult for you to think properly because your brain is just like, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. So the way that I learned, especially to calm myself down, um, was with a process called thought stopping. So basically, it's just repeating a word in your head over and over again. And that kind of stops the thought loop of, you know, I'm scared. What do I do? What's going on? What's wrong with me? So I used to just say the word stop over and over again but it could really be any word. Like sometimes I would like look at something in the room and I'd be like, chair, 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 chair. And eventually it calms your amygdala down and it allows your frontal cortex to kind of be like, okay, well, there's nothing really wrong here. Like I'm okay. Another thing was I used to draw (laughs) a map of the United States with my eyes um, because it activates parts of like your occipital cortex and stuff like that, that kind of are involved in your motor cortex and the brain's all, you know, like, combined so 
um, like every part of it works together. So the more you can activate your brain, the more you can deal with a panic attack. So yeah, the, the thought stopping one you can do whenever. And the other one I learned was I would take my two hands and I would rub them kind of like this on my legs because that activates like your um, sensory motor cortex, which is part of your motor cortex. Um, and that works in calming down your amygdala and activating your frontal cortex. So basically I just, I did a bunch of stuff because you like, there's no way that you could activate just one coping mechanism and be fine during a panic attack, especially. So I, I kept learning new things and like things like, you know, mindfulness, being in the present moment, doing like body scans on my own, like thinking about like, okay, how do my toes feel? Then how do my feet feel? How do my ankles feel? How do my legs feel? Like my calves, my knees, my, like working all the way up the body and just like sitting and thinking about how I feel and where the problem really is coming from. And usually it's just mental, but sometimes it's also physical. Like, you know, symptoms of anxiety attack can be a racing heart. Or like, you know, your your fingers feel kind of numb or like itchy or sweaty or whatever. So a lot of times being able to isolate where the problem is, is very beneficial. Definitely. No, that's great stuff right there. And, and like you said, it's, um, it's a full assault on it. It's the mind. It's the body. It's not just looking at one particular strategy as like a magic pull, pill or, or silver bullet, whatever you want to call it, but um, using multiple things that could help you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And honestly, that's the way it is for a lot of stuff, even like depression. Like I've dealt with depression before and I've been open about that. And, you know, if I went out and I had fun with my friends, that didn't cure what I was dealing with. You know what I mean? Like it took a lot more than just one thing to be going well for me to feel right. So it really took me going out and kind of being open with, hey, I'm dealing with this and this and this and I need help. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm I'm going through it pretty much. Like I opened up a lot to my friends and my family and I was like, you know, I, I've been suicidal before. I don't know if that's that's a little dark, but I've been suicidal before and like I I kind of need support right now because I'm not feeling right. And the difference I think between anxiety and depression is that anxiety when you have it your brain and your body are just like, I need to get out. I need to get out of this. I need to feel better. I'm terrified and everything just needs to get better. When you, when you're depressed, it's the polar opposite. You're like, I want to stay in this. Like, I don't want to leave my room. I want to lay in bed all day and I want to, you know, watch TV and eat, you know, Pringles and just, I don't want to like interact with anyone. I kind of just want to stay here. And I think from what I've dealt with, depression is harder to deal with because everything in your body is just like, I don't want to get up. I don't want to get better. Nothing will get better. I was actually, I was talking to um, someone who worked for the Penn Gazette and he was like, the difference between depression and sadness is that when you're depressed, it's not just sad. You're sad and you're apathetic and you think that it will never get better. With every single cell and fiber in your body, you think it will never get better no matter what you do. So depression took, takes a lot longer to deal with, you know, for me, at least, you know, in my experience, some people are anxious for their whole lives, but in my experience, depression took probably four or five years to deal with. Um, because when I felt it, I was just like, you know, what, whatever, I'll just stay in my room and I'll lock my doors and 
I won't clean up after myself and I just won't see my friends and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, again, you need multiple different coping mechanisms to deal with that. Now, when I start to feel those depressed thoughts and stuff like that, I'm like, well, that's not true. You know, I don't want to stay in and be, you know, alone on the couch. I want to be with my friends and have a good experience. And I don't want something like that to interact how I deal with my familiar relationships, my relationships with like my girlfriend, my friendships, like I want to be myself and I want to experience life authentically. So yeah, it took me again, a really long time to get there, but that was something I had to learn through you know, the help of therapists and friends and people who have dealt with it before. Yeah. And those, those distinctions that you drew there, that's huge. And that's important for people to realize the difference between sadness and depression, depression and anxiety. So you're able to kind of isolate what, what's going on and what can I do to, to help. I talk about that. You said about um, family, therapist, having different channels of people that you're able to reach out to, to speak with, to socialize and to get help. Yeah. So um, I'm super lucky. My family was very, um, supportive in like when I was dealing with stuff helping me through what I was dealing with because again like I said my mom deals with certain forms of anxiety and stuff like that and my dad's an old school Italian so he doesn't necessarily understand it but he's very supportive you know like when I was going through it he was like whatever you need to do to get better uh you know I'll be there for you and I'll support you so I was very lucky and got to benefit from a very helpful family situation you know my brother used to call me every night and say, how are you feeling? You know, what are you doing? Do you need me to come home from Reno? And I was like, no, I'm okay. Like, I'll be okay. So um, from a family perspective, they were, you know, everything. Like I was stuck at home while all my friends were at school. So I I wasn't seeing my friends really. Um, So I was just with my family all the time. And it, you know, being with them and having them be so supportive was so helpful for me. But I was, again, really lucky. Some people don't have that. So at school, um, I had teammates when I was at school um, and I was dealing with the worst of my panic attacks. I would go to my teammates who lived on the same floor in the frat house I lived in and I would say, hey, like, I'm kind of having a panic attack. Can you take a walk with me? And we would go from 39th Street in Philadelphia all the way down Locust Walk over the South Street Bridge. And there was a dog park there. And we would go to the dog park and we would sit there and just watch the dogs and hang out and talk and walk back. And usually by the time we got back, it was probably like an hour or so. And I would feel so much better. So, you know, having people like that around that were so understanding of what I was dealing with, that were like ready to just drop everything and be like, I'm here to help you. Like, how can I help? That was again, everything, you know, it, it, if I didn't have that and I just had to go to those, you know, to the dog park by myself, it wouldn't have worked the same. Um, That's great. Talk a little bit about your, I want to stop there because I want you to um, expand on that as family. What, so, you know, different family members are going to have people in their family struggling with these kind of things. What should they be saying? Should they be asking how you're doing, not asking how you're doing? And then I guess maybe it's, maybe it's the same. Maybe it's different for teammates. Do you ask how they're doing? Do you not ask? Do you just be there for them? How do you, how do you deal with, if you're a family, what do you say to deal with them? Yeah. So again, it's different for everybody. Like I remember when I was in the IOPs, uh, an event that had a really profound effect on me was I had a full on panic attack in the middle of, so our 
just to give a little background, the IOP, um, the intensive outpatient program was for the first three weeks, it was five hours a day, five days a week, group therapy, um, where we talk about how we felt. We'd listen to other people talk about how they felt. We get the feedback, stuff like that. Um, and then a couple hours we would have, like, we'd learn stuff. So we'd learn about like mindfulness or, um, what anxiety was or depression was. And there were people with like addiction and stuff like that in there. So we learned about like addiction. Um, so one day I was having like a really bad anxiety attack cause I hadn't had one for like two weeks and I thought I was out of it. And when it came back, I was really upset and it messed me up. So I was in class and I was having an anxiety attack and I kind of walked out and I found who was my counselor. Um, and I said, Hey, like I'm having an anxiety attack. Can I just sit down for a little while? Like, can we like, I don't know, go to a room, sit down? She sat me down with a couple of the other counselors that were there while they were like doing work. And I was just like kind of trying to calm myself down. And one of the counselors said like, Hey, how can we best help you? And I was like, well, what do you mean? They were like, well, some people like to talk. Some people kind of just want to figure it out on their own. Some people, you know, like want I don't know, draw or stuff like that. Like some people, like people have different coping mechanisms that work for them. So how can we best help you? And I kind of had to like in a really quick moment, like, cause again, I really wanted to get out of that panic attack. I really had to like identify and kind of see what I do to like help myself. So I realized that I like talking obviously, or else I wouldn't be doing something like this, but I like talking about what I'm going through. Um, some people, you know, they just need to figure it out on their own. Like I've, you know, I've known people that, when they're, you know, having panic attacks or anxiety or something like that, they kind of like, they're like, don't touch me. Let me just like lay down and calm myself down. So, you know, that's again, a very different reaction from how I dealt with it, which was like, help me, come in, help me, help me out. So, you know, I think it's a lot of reading what someone's going through. Um, And like I said, for something like depression, like people really, unless you're like, kind of seasoned in depression which is a messed up thing to say but unless you've had it a lot like you're not gonna be able to identify what you're feeling you're just like oh I'm like dealing with a lot right now so like I I have had people at school that were like yeah freshman year I was super depressed and I didn't even realize it so like if you go up to someone who's really depressed and they don't even realize it and you're like hey man you're not acting right what's going on they're kind of gonna probably have like an adverse reaction like what do you mean like I'm fine like like how like how dare you kind of thing so I think it's a lot of reading like what someone's going through um and reading who they are as a person because it's not an easy thing to deal with mental health is very difficult you could say the wrong thing one time and they you know someone will lash out and all of a sudden you're like I never want to help you again but that person's still going through what they're going through and dealing with what they're dealing with so you know it's I think it's a lot of reading what's going on um, but for something like suicidality, um, there's like very defined things that people do. Um, so like a lot of times people start giving away their stuff, which is kind of messed up. If you think about it, like you're like people are thinking, you know, I'm on the way out. So I want people to have my things. Um, people start giving away their stuff. They'll start withdrawing a lot more. They'll stop talking to people as much. They'll kind of like deal with themselves and they'll be like they'll lock themselves in their room for all hours of the day and um it's kind of like it, it in the moment it probably doesn't seem like anything but when you look back on it there's very defined and apparent things that people do when they're dealing with you know being suicidal so I urge people if they're dealing 
or if they have someone that's in their life that's important to them, they think might be suicidal, I urge them to read up on what those things might be. You know, if someone comes up to you and is like, hey, man, I want you to have this, like, this really important thing to me, kind of be like, okay, well, why? Like, what do you, why, why do you want me to have this thing that I know is really important to you? So I would definitely just read up on like what the warning signs could be. Um, obviously no one wants to lose a loved one like that, but that's super duper important. That's something that I personally am very passionate about, um, helping people who are suicidal, helping people who are severely depressed. Um, and I think at a base, it starts with the people that are closest around them being able to help. And that's not to say if it, you know, if something bad happens, it's their fault, but it's to say like, you have the power to help them right now. If you can, if you can recognize what's going on, you know what I mean? Excellent. That's, that's great stuff, Gianni. Really, really great. And thinking about just, like you said, a wrestling is just so all encompassing kind of bringing it around full circle. Now, I mean, sports are so all encompassing and wrestling is even more all encompassing because like you said, the weight, the mindset, the strength, the conditioning, I mean, you're always thinking about it. It's almost like in order to be a great wrestler, you need to be obsessed with it. And even when we talk about, even when we introduce one another, it's like, oh, this is Gianni, the pen wrestler, Gene, pen wrestler. And like, we say that when we introduce ourselves to people um, or when people ask us about us, I'm, I'm a wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to be careful and, and remember, I guess, as parents, as co- you know, the coaches, and even just as individuals, like the kids don't necessarily get that in middle school, high school or college, but just be real careful about that is just identifying yourself as a wrestler. You could say that I'm so-and-so the wrestler, but that's not really who you are. That's not your true identity because wrestling could be taken away at any time, just like we see with COVID. And you're more than that. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. You, you, you are more than that. And, and even if you want to take it a step further, look at it as like the, the wrestling mindset, maybe it's, that's just that mentality that you're taking now to your family, to helping people, to your career, to, you know, your faith, your relationship with God. You know, now me as a father, it's like, okay, I'm not a wrestler competing anymore, but that mentality is there now as a father and as a husband that I'm all in, I'm going all out, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think, especially in the sport like wrestling, where, you know, you're rewarded for your toughness, you know, if you're tough and, you know, you're like, I'm, you know, I'm just going to tough it out and beat this person. That's kind of the mentality that you have to have to be a successful wrestler in a sport like that, having mental illness is especially difficult and especially dangerous because you think of yourself as such like a macho man, such like, you're like, I'm an animal, you know, I'm nothing ever wrong could happen to me. And then your brain starts functioning in a different way. And you're like, well, I'll be fine. I'll just push through it. No one needs to know. I'll never show. Cause think about it. Like at the end of practice, what does the coach tell you? You know, don't show that you're tired. Don't show your opponent that you're tired, stand up straight. You're fine. You know, so having, you know, been in a sport like that, again, where it's all encompassing and it becomes really hard to blur the lines between wrestling mindset and like a lifestyle mindset, like, you know, that, you know, I'm tougher than everybody and I'm never going to break and stuff like that. Yeah, that's great for wrestling. That'll help you get far in the sport, but you need to be able to separate that from real life, where if you're dealing with something that's super serious and super, you know, heavy and all-encompassing like mental illness you need to be able to open up about it and tell people you know it like I always say like 
the best thing I ever did probably in my entire life was tell people that I was dealing with something because if I had never done that, who knows where I would have ended up. You know, if I was dealing with panic attacks and I would just kind of like shut myself out and I was like, I'll, you know, I'm never going to tell anyone about that. Um, thanks. Sorry, my dad just dropped something off. Um, oh. Like if I was dealing with something like that and I never told anyone, and I kind of just lashed out at everybody. The, the effect I would have had on people would have been profound. Like the negative effect that I would have had on my relationships and my friendships and stuff like that. It would have been terrible. And like, again, profoundly bad. Like if every time I had a panic attack and someone asked me what was wrong, I was like, I'm nothing. I'm fine. Like get out of my face. Like, and I had like an adverse ne negative effect, then it would have affected, you know, my whole entire life. And then all of a sudden I'm losing friends. I'm losing, you know, like connections with my family and things are getting just worse and worse and worse. So being able to open up and kind of start that first step of healing was massive. And, you know, it, it opened the door for everything that ended up occurring. Um, like later on, like something like this and me being kind of like, I don't want to call myself a mental health advocate, but me advocating for people to open up about their mental health and break the stigma and stuff like that. And again, that even wouldn't have started if it wasn't for people like Tyson Fury and Kevin Love and people who opened up about mental health struggles that they were dealing with that were also high functioning athletes that are like, yeah, man, like, like Tyson Fury is a world heavyweight champ. He's one of the best boxers of all time. And he's coming out saying I've dealt with, you know, addiction, suicidal tendencies, um, you know, eating disorders, um, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and, and like hearing that i was like oh my god like you know i'm not alone so that's all that's a lot of in what i do is i try to just tell people that they're not alone because being alone is like the worst thing that you could feel when you're dealing with something like that right you got to know you're not alone and that other people have gotten out of this there is hope those are all those are all very big and it's it's funny what um you're kind of saying before there about you know that that mentality as a wrestler of being macho, but sometimes we don't examine what we're like how that looks in life in general because even if we're a hardcore tough wrestler, you know, pedal to the floor, Iowa style grinder, you still have a technique coach that you're going to, that you're expressing your vulnerabilities to. I'm not finishing my front headlock, I'm not getting out on legs, I'm I don't know what to do in this situation. So we do that in wrestling and then with strength almost no one does the strength training for themselves especially nowadays it's you have a strength coach and the strength coach says yeah your back is weak or your athletic trainer is saying yeah you got to rehab your shoulder so we're getting help we're asking help actually from a lot of people even when we're super tough with our nutrition you have your nutritionist you know, even like us as mindset coaches, like we're saying, okay, here's your pre-match routine. Here's the predator and prey mindset. You focus on what you control, forget about what you can't control. So we're getting help from a lot of people as athletes. Don't, don't think that with mental health, it should be any different. If we're struggling, you talk to a therapist, you talk to a counselor, that becomes your, your mental wellness coach. Just like you have your strength coach, your nutrition coach, your technical coach, your mindset coach, here's your mental health and emotions. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I always liken it to something like that. Like you would never, if you were struggling finishing a, a high C or sweep single, you would never just be like, you know what, I'm just going to figure it out. I'll be fine. But because of the way that the sport of wrestling is where 
you are directly rewarded for how tough you are. You know, if you are tough, you will win matches. That's how it is. Like it, there's a direct correlation. It's so hard to deal with mental health. And you think of it in a way that you shouldn't. Like you think of it as it's something I need to tough out and make myself like get through because I'm tough and I'm a wrestler and I can beat anything if I'm just tough. But you should be thinking about it more like technique yeah. where I'm dealing with something that I don't quite understand and I don't quite know how to deal with. I need to talk to someone about it because this isn't something I'm well-versed in. You know, again, like if you're not finishing your shots or if you're, you know, bad on bottom or bad, like bad on top, you go to your coach, you go to someone who's really good in that position and knows what they're talking about when and they ask talk for help and ask for help. <laughs> exactly. But people think about it in different, like, I know it from like personal experience and I know from people who have told me, Hey, like I thought about it the wrong way. Like I was dealing with something that was really severe. Like people who have told me like I was depressed for a whole year and I thought that I could just tough it out and make it through. And I thought I would be fine, but it wasn't the truth. Like they had to go talk to someone like a technique coach. They had to go talk to a therapist. They had to go talk to somebody and open up about what they were dealing with before they could kind of affect the things that they were like going through before they could have an impact on what they were dealing with. Right. I would love to see that, that mental shift happen for everyone that we look at it as being a grinder and toughing it out. Doesn't mean going it alone. Toughing it out means I'm going to see the therapist once, twice, even three times a week if I have to. And if, and if for some reason it's not working with this therapist, I'll see someone else. I'll go to the school counselor. I'll call up the psychologist. I know it's tough when you're in, you know, when you're in those low areas to get that, energy to act but if we want to look at it as a grinder mental toughness yeah being tough is asking for help every day multiple times a day if necessary that's how i'm going to grind it out toughing it out is asking for help reaching out to my parents reaching out to my friends being willing to be vulnerable searching mental and emotional health on the internet being open about my struggles i I would love to see that become the attitude associated with toughing it out for mental health Oh, I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure it's tough. Easier said than done. Oh, it's again, like, like you said, the reason that that is such a tough thing to do is because it's so hard, like opening up about your mental health and being able to go to a therapist and a psychiatrist if need be and stuff like that, that to me makes you tougher than sitting in your room being like, I'm going to figure it out on my own. You know, to me, it's so hard for a lot of people to be like, you know what? something to identify yourself something is wrong and i need help or else like things are going to get worse like you know you could sit in your room all day and make depression grow you know what i mean like you could make it get worse on its own or you could call a therapist and talk to someone or you could call your friend and be like hey like i might not be right like i need help and to me that's the toughest thing a person can do is open up about stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it was tough for me to, you know, kind of start talking about my mental health and stuff like that. But a lot of people have told me like, you know, for them being open is like, like the hardest thing in the world. Like vulnerability, of, humility. Yeah. Yep, I think of like Matt Valeni, who was a two-time national champ you know, star wrestler, you know, one of the best pen wrestlers to ever live. And he 
whenever I you know, open up about something, he always calls me really brave. And I'm like, I don't think this is brave. Like to me, it's really not. It's just me opening up about what I've dealt with. You know, people do that all the time. Like you see like the weight loss people on Instagram and Twitter and stuff like that. And like, they're opening up about things they dealt with and they, you know, it's the same thing. So I don't necessarily think that it's brave. I just think of it as like necessary. Like I need to do that to help people. Um, but he, he literally told me the last time I did an interview with Penn Gazette, he was like, it takes me days just to say that I'm struggling with something or like not even struggling with something. He said, it takes me days to say that I'm stressed about something. And I was like, that's such a different mentality from what I have. Cause well now, like back in the day, it was probably different, but you know, it, it, it's, I think the toughest thing that a person can do is take that first step and say, I'm not right. I need to get right. Let me go figure it out. You know, let me go talk to therapists, talk to my counselors, talk to an advisor, talk to someone you're close with, your family, your friends, someone, there's someone out there that wants to help you. Absolutely. Oh, great, Gianni. Excellent. And you're right. Cause it's, you know, you could, you could be the person you got out of three and a half hour practice, run a marathon. And you know what, those things really don't compare to the mental toughness of being vulnerable, asking for help, saying, Hey, I need you. Can you help me? Um, that humility, sometimes that's much more mentally tough than gutting out a hard workout or winning championships or coming back and taking third. Those things are all great. But in my mind, and I know a lot of people see it this way, and it, and it really is the way it is, but, you know, asking for help, being vulnerable, that makes you more of a man or, or a woman, whichever you are, and, and makes you more mentally tough and makes you stronger. So thank you very much, Gianni. Great information. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I hope, you know, people that are watching this will, you know, hopefully, again, it just affects one person and one person is like, I'm, you know, a lot of things that he said, I identify myself with like dealing with and maybe I should get help so you know um I'm always here to help if you know if you don't necessarily feel comfortable going to a clinical therapist just yet you know reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter or something like that I've had a lot of people do that um and I'm always here to help you know so anything any way I can help I'm always here awesome Johnny thank you so much I know you're going to be touching a lot more than one life out there (laughs) I hope so thank you for having me absolutely Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 